this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Doctor Who and the Daleks from 1965 with Peter Cushing as the Doctor. Joining us for discussion will be Russell McGee, on-air promotions producer at WTIU in Bloomington. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. Past the danger point. The atmosphere is polluted with a very high level of fallout. Move beyond the limits of the city and destroy the towns. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 66. This is Brandon. And as always with me is your resident Time Lord and co-hoster, Cullen. Thank you for having me here, Chesterton. Today we are here to discuss the 1965 film, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Cullen, how's this one go? An eccentric inventor and his companions travel in his TARDIS to the planet Scarrow and battle the evil menace of the Daleks. Doctor Who and the Daleks is directed by Gordon Fleming and stars Peter Cushing, Roy Castle, Jenny Linden, Robert Tovey, and Barry Ingham. Welcome back to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. It's the start of the brand new year, and what a new year it was. Of course, we don't know as we're recording this before that new year hits. <laughs> <laughs> For all we know, there might not be a new year, so who knows? And with this past Christmas, we were given a, a brand new Doctor in the Doctor Who lore for this uh, brand new year of 2018. That, that, that's how we're tying this together, folks. Uh, Jodie Whittaker... We just wanted to watch the movie. Yes. Jodie Whittaker has made her first appearance. We'll be taking over the TARDIS for the next exciting season of Doctor Who and for possibly many years to come. Uh, speaking of Doctor Who, we have someone... Uh, that we can tie in as well, very special, coming to join join with us today to talk about the movie from WTIU in Bloomington, Russell McGee. Hi there, guys. What the guys have not mentioned is I also work for Big Finish Productions out of the UK and do sound design work on the Doctor Who audio plays that they produce. And at this point, believe it or not, guys, they have actually produced two times as many stories as the actual TV show. So they've they've done a few Doctor Who stories. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they've only been around since 98. So, yeah. They took advantage of that gap. Yeah, they did. They totally <laughs> drilled the hell out of it. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't really have the Eighth Doctor the way we do without Big Finish. So that that's definitely a thing. And Stephen Moffat paid tribute to Paul McGann and Big Finish in the 50th when uh, he did that Night of the Doctor, where he had Paul come back and then made mention of a few of the companions that have actually come through with Big Finish. I'm one of the crazy guys that works behind the scenes and creates all the noises and rubberoo that end up making things sound like uh, what you would see on TV. How now you are in Bloomington, like we mentioned, how did you get 
involved at all with Big Finish because, you know, they're not a local company. You know, it's, uh, you know, it seems like it'd be a bit difficult to get uh, start communicating with someone in a different country for this. Right, right. Well, like yourselves, guys, I'm just a crazy fan, uh, not just of Doctor Who, uh, of cult films and stuff, too. And I just happened to be at the Chicago TARDIS for the 50th anniversary. And I went up to one of the executive producers, Jason Higuerly, and spoke to him and asked him if they had any openings. I led into this with the fact that I just graduated from the master's program at IU and that I had a web series that actually ended up going to the Irvine International Film Festival. And that kind of piqued his interest. And from there, he said, I uh, went ahead and contacted the inquiries email that they would set me up as far as an audition and we would go from there. And let me tell you, Their audition process is interesting just from the standpoint that they are so busy because it really is kind of a mom and pop type of store in that there's only a small amount of people that are actually working at at Big Finish proper. So it took them just even three months to get back to me and then another three months of going back and forth as far as the audition. So six months total before I was actually said, hey, here. Go ahead and work on this story. And the first story I got to work on was a third doctor story, which the third doctor is my favorite doctor. So Hmm. I was pretty happy. So did you have a knot in your stomach for the six months waiting then? Yeah, yeah. And the guy who was my main contact, Ian Atkins, who give a shout out, just was really cool and helped me through that audition process and just told me that, Big Finish is like a large ship, and it turns very slowly, so I just had to be patient and wait. So it would have been six months, and they're like, okay, well, you're now on the newsletter subscription list, so (laughs) we'll be getting back to you later. It's like, oh, man, it's really tough. What all doctors have you dabbled in with the stories you've worked on? You mentioned Uh, the third. Right. And I've also then worked on a Seventh Doctor story, which was originally a novel during those wilderness years called Original Sin. And then I've also worked on a Fourth Doctor story, which was called The Silent Scream. And that was a lot of fun because it was set in the 1930s and revolved around a make-believe studio, Hammerstein Studios. But it had that... It had that feel of like the old universal classic films and stuff. So I was able to pay a little homage to those films with throwing in Swan Lake in there as a transition piece. So that was cool. And then I am currently working on Gallifrey, The Time War. So can't really talk too much about that right now, guys, but it has at least been announced. So I can say that I am working on that, but it's the first series that they've asked me to work on. So I'm actually doing all four stories for that series. And all that led you to being on Cult Cinema Cavalcade. So congratulations. (laughs) Come a long way. (laughs) Well, I mean, we, we talked to you about this, like, oh, what was it? July. Well, July. So yeah. we're yeah, a li- yeah. we're a little we're a little faster than Big Finish on background. <laughs> it's even more mom and pop with us. <laughs> He's pop and I'm mom. Because I'm and always on top. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, this doctor, a doctor, I'm sure you you're probably not gonna work with. <laughs> 
this Doctor Who story, uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks, which I have I have coined to Cullen, is like the never say never again of Doctor Who lore. Where Cullen, how did this movie happen? And People why? wanted to make money. No. <laughs> well, you know, Doctor Who was very popular at the time, and the Daleks were arguably more popular than the Doctor was. So the BBC decided that, hey, let's make a movie. And they, I'm not sure about the rights stuff necessarily, but they uh, took the second story from the original show, Doctor Who, and they adapted it to make a movie out of it. And it was just the first time the Doctor met the Daleks. And they took a seven-part story and made it into an hour-and-a-half story, which surprisingly, I'm surprised that it, it made any sense that they stripped, you know, that much story out of it. And it's like, okay, I can tell what's going on. Like, they're in trouble, and now they're not in trouble, and that blows up, and then it's over. And, like, this thing has pieces that seem like gangbusters. Like, oh, Peter Cushing as the doctor? That's kind of awesome. But he was, I think he was brought on when they had, they had a hammer director attached to it first, yeah. Freddie Francis, and that's probably how they got Cushing along. But although they say, you know, he was more marketable than Hartnell was to American audiences, and also the right. decision to, to make him an alien to human was done for the Americans, apparently, but... Yeah, apparently Americans couldn't understand aliens, even though <laughs> they meet <laughs> aliens in this movie. I don't, huh? I don't know, you know? I, I don't know why that aliens. was made. What's that? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, sure, it totally makes sense that a human being on Earth would invent a time machine in the mid-60s <laughs> using the technology available. That totally adds up. I mean, maybe they're thinking at the fi- time a lot of American films had the aliens as the antagonists that they'd seen. Like, you know, the other day there was still War of the Worlds, stuff like that. Maybe like, oh, they can't get on board with that. But I don't know. It's just really strange. It was probably just more stuff to explain that they just didn't have time for. They, they certainly didn't have time to build a, a good set for the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Just throw some Christmas lights in the the prop room, and we'll be good. <laughs> I think that would have that, that would have been a step up, possibly. Right. It was definitely done very much tongue in cheek. I mean, even like changing Barbara to a granddaughter as opposed to Susan's teacher and stuff. It it was geared more towards a younger audience, mm-hmm. and I think that's also, and I'm sure you guys will get into this, where it kind of ended up having some problems because it's kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze where they went way too kitty with it in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, the nunchucks become hot dog links. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the original scenes in this movie. They cut it out because no one knew anything about martial arts originally. Right. It was just really out of place. <laughs> just got rid of it. <laughs> the movie starts with this psychedelic title sequence and what can be described as some generic 60s unmemorable score music being played like there's no there's no real theme that i picked up on i thought mm-hmm. maybe this would come back at all and i don't i don't really remember it coming back i don't yeah i don't remember it coming back either yeah now, yeah the the opening does look like any british movie from the 60s no totally totally this no, could no. have been the opening credits of barbarella which i <laughs> got flashbacks watching this movie <laughs> you know, no, you know what it sounds like? It it sounds like or it looks like like a Bond knockoff movie. That's what it looks like. 
Yeah. Totally. It might be just be the the film stock, you know, British film stock of the era and the style that just if we saw more of them, be like, oh, they all look like this. But yeah, you're right with that that Bond in like Flint kind of kind of look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, At one point, I expected everything to be shagadelic and everyone just kind of doing the monkey. <laughs> It needed it. So we begin with uh, Susan, the little girl, reading a giant book that says Physics for the Inquiring Mind. And then we pan over to Barbara, her older sister, reading a uh, science book. And uh, Peter Cushing, the Doctor Who, uh, called Doctor Who, not the Doctor, Doctor Who, reading some sort of comic book thing, science-ish. I don't, I remember (laughs) things like this, but I don't know what they're actually called. because it's not actually a comic book, right? Kind of like a kid magazine thing. It looks like the British equivalent of a boy's life, is what it looks like. <laughs> the clock strikes, and Barbara's new boyfriend, Ian, is there at the door, and she makes Susan go let him in, and he, of course, stumbles into a clock coming in, and he, he's brought some chocolates, which he ends up putting on a chair and then sitting on them, smashing them, and then he <sighs> almost sits on some blah-blah oscillator thing, like... <laughs> Ian has already proclaimed and will continue that he's the worst. <laughs> I that's, wow. That's how he should have introduced himself. Like, hello, I'm Ian and I'm the worst. Shame. <laughs> like, imagine Dick Van Dyke, but without any of the charm or magnetism. That's who Ian is. Yeah, and at the time, I mean, we only had uh, William Hartnell as the Doctor, but looking at Peter Cushing, this this could be like a, a thrown away design that coming up with the new Doctor, the way is the coloring of his clothes, the style of them, his kind of look. Mm-hmm. I, I like. I don't feel like that's off at all. Like I feel he he's got to look for the part of what we would later see as Doctors too. Did and they even went with like the smoking jacket and everything that you would see with a third Doctor with yeah. him. I wonder mm-hmm. if that had any influence on the TV show going forward later on with Doctors. It definitely did with Moffat with bringing back the Technicolor Rainbow dialects in, what was that, 2010? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who then gets excited to show Ian something. He takes him and Susie outside, and they find the TARDIS that just is sitting out in the backyard. I love that Doctor Who says, like, oh, I have a new invention. My latest invention. What, a police box? Of course not. This is TARDIS. TARDIS? It stands for time of relative dimension in space. Like when someone says, I have a new invention, like, oh, it's a, you know, a, a better mouse trap, or it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's Velcro, but better. Not like, oh, no, it's a time machine. It's in my backyard. Come on out, we'll poke around. And just, you know, you ever been in a time machine before? Like, no, I have a time machine. <laughs> You're talking about, you crazy old man. It's like, Hey, you want to check out this little cool thing I built? And you're like, yeah. And you go out. It's like there's like a like a, a garage out there. It's like, no, no, you, you built a garage, dude. Tell me you built it. <laughs> I built a time machine. You want to see it? Sure. <laughs> I'm skeptical, but sure. Yeah. Of yeah. Co- he buries the lead on this. Right. <laughs> of course, when he enters, it's much larger on the inside, and it's full of just like random lights, wires, toy things, some science stuff, and a rocking chair. Was this the last day for the uh, the set designer, right? Like, like it just looks like they were tired. Like, just put some wires, have them hanging down, maybe attach them to something. I don't care. There's like, nothing like, coherent about any of this. It's just there, like, science no, room. No, there's absolutely no flow or any kind of design to it. It's just a bunch of crap thrown in a room, hot glued on a wall. 
with a chair in the middle of it. Like there's not even like the center console, like, you know, how it is in the show where, you know, brings everyone together. This like you look at it like, how the hell does this work? You look at the TV show like, okay, I can understand like all the all the actions happening in the middle where that console is. This is just just a pile of spaghetti. You mentioned the console, and yeah, the only thing they have there is that giant red lever that then, of course, our jokey Ian stumbles on. <sighs> yep. Well, Ian first, sh- <laughs> he shuts the door, he walks around, looks, same size, and they go in, and Doctor Who tells him how the TARDIS can travel through time and space. Barbara enters, gives Ian a hug, and yes, steps on the button, sending them through time. Did he even trip? On anything, he just... He blundered into Barbara and fell backwards. So Ian has never, like, been around a woman. Is that what we're to understand? He's been around Barbara enough that she calls him her boyfriend, right? Yeah, no, that's true. And Susie, I guess, has seen him a couple times, but yet he falls when he comes in, too, as far as the door opening. I think perhaps that women are his kryptonite. Maybe that's what's going on. And not, like, in a way that's like, oh, I just, I I can't resist myself around women. It's that he (laughs) he turns into an idiot when he's around any woman of any age and just starts hitting his head. So Ian calls BS on Doctor Who, steps out the door, and is surprised. They exit into a weird haunted forest looking place where they're at has apparently been burned to ashes i didn't get the impression of that until they told me that it just looked like some spooky haunted woods but apparently it's been burned down ian tries to grab a branch and of course breaks and he stumbles hang on ian stumbles yeah (laughs) what yeah immediately oh my goodness They all decide to investigate the woods. Susie finds some flower that she knows, but Doctor Who doesn't really care. And, of course, Ian bumps into her, which smashes it. And Barbara screams because some sort of alien lizard statue's there. Then Ian runs to her rescue and stumbles and crushes it. Ian! Mm. Ian! (laughs) Seeing a pattern here. I was watching this, and I texted Colin, like, oh, man, I forgot about Ian. (laughs) Like, I, yeah. Does he have an inner ear condition or something where he can't balance himself walking i he makes jar jar binks look stoic like that's <laughs> well <Wow>. okay <laughs> let's not fun's fun let's not get ridiculous I I, I I don't know <laughs> i really don't so in the distance <laughs> Ian and Susie spot a city. Barbara confides in Ian that she wants to leave and she feels it's dangerous. Ian then asks Doctor Who to leave. Doctor Who says, oh, well, and with a wink to Susie. On their way back through the woods, Susie finds another one of those flowers and is hit on the shoulder by someone. And she freaks and runs, but is grabbed by Ian. And we go inside the TARDIS, where Doctor Who says it couldn't have been a hand, as it couldn't exist there. A knock comes at the TARDIS. The camera shows no one there. Ian asks to go home. Doctor Who sets the controls, and Ian pulls the switch, but it doesn't work. Doctor Who says, Fetch it. The fluid link. His end has been jarred out of position. Some of the fluid has run out. Have you got a spare? Oh, you don't need one. This just needs refilling with mercury. I have some in my laboratory. Supposing there isn't any mercury on this planet? We'll just have to try the city. It's about the only place we're likely to find any. Outside the TARDIS, Ian finds something on the ground. Susie picks it up and gives it to the doctor. It's a case full of vials with liquids in them. And he has Susie put them in the TARDIS. And then immediately we're at the city. Doctor Who is wiped from the steep climb to the city. Well, 
was going to say, to be fair, if this was the show, he'd be hundreds of years old. Here he's just 50. <laughs> yeah, right. He might be a 1960s 40. You never know. <laughs> yeah. they have Peter Cushing tottering her along doing that faux like bow leg thing is just uh yeah yeah so he suggests they all take different directions or there's three doors he says they all split up go to a different door but Susie gets to come with Doctor Who and they're supposed to meet back to report their findings so they each enter a different door Ian's door however of course it doesn't open for him and it plays some games with opening and shutting right as he tries to enter it's like watching someone try to play Zelda and they have and they've never played it before Pretty that's much. what it looked like yeah perfect analogy like, hit the hit the switch you, ah push the rock over it it's like a- one thing you can move just do it inside barbara walks through a hall with either Shower heads or sci-fi Porky's tributes on the walls, <laughs> finding finding a doorway that ends up shutting and trapping her in. They are, they're like the least subtle <laughs> things because they're all on the wall and they're just you know just above her head and they're all clearly moving and following her as she's walking. You think she'd put two and two together like something's up here? Uh, Doctor Who is met back with Ian outside and they hear Barbara scream and they enter her door, but. They can't get to her, so they go go back and try Ian's door, and they decide to have Susie sit on the sensor, and then they, they end up holding the door for her, and uh, they find some machine with dangerous atmospheric fallout readings. Doctor Who then admits he's lied about the TARDIS not working, that he just wanted to explore the city. Thanks, Doctor. Is it just me, or does Ian just kind of accept that super quick? <laughs> he does. Like someone that, as soon as he stepped out of the TARDIS, immediately wanted to go back. You, you figure he'd be a bit more passionate about, like, what? Now we're trapped in this on this planet because of you? Or <laughs> I guess we're not, because you're a liar. <laughs> they turn around and are surrounded by Daleks. They, they order them to move a certain way, but Ian tries to bolt, and he gets gassed. The, the Daleks take the fluid link from the Doctor and move everyone along. Just going to point out that something that was disappointing for myself was like, I also just rewatched the original story to do a comparison and why they went ahead and didn't do the buildup of suspense of showing the plunger with the dialect with Barbara first Mm -hmm. and doing that slow reveal. And then instead went to the wide shot and showed all the dialects coming in and then no suspense. I don't know. But we're just saying it's kind of a little bit better. I also watched the original story like over the past couple of days. And one of the things I noticed, like you said, the there's not, it's not as suspenseful. The movie, the show is is pretty suspenseful, feels kind of mysterious and murky. Whereas this is just like move, move, move. You know, there's not as much build up. It's just get to the next thing. Right, right. Barbara is in a cell room holding area. The Daleks deliver the rest of her group to her. They all say they feel weak, and Doctor Who says that the level of radiation is high there, probably due to some previous war. Okay. They are... (laughs) (laughs) A big leap. Yes. They are already exposed and need to get out of there. The Daleks discuss that the humans must be immune to something, as they are hiding in the machines to keep from being exposed. Also a big leap. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's been given no information other than there's radiation outside and we're on a different planet. That is it. That's all the information he has. They watch the prisoners, the Daleks do, from a 
camera, and uh, the doctor begins talking about glass vials that they found. Uh, the Daleks burst in and tell them that one of them need to go outside the city. They want someone to get the drugs to help them with the radiation, and they'll give some to them if they do this for them. And Susan elects herself to go. She heads out, and the Daleks sit at some science machine monitoring her. And uh, the Daleks then talk about not letting the humans use the drugs and letting them die. Because that's what Daleks do. If she returns with the drug, am I to allow the prisoners to use some? No, their only value is to bring us the drug to duplicate for ourselves. Let them die. In the cell, the doctor is faint, and Ian tells Barbara nothing is wrong with the fluid link that we remembered from before, so now she knows. She's also very nonchalant about it, like, oh, we're all dying of radiation poisoning, but, you know, it's cool. And at this point, you know, with Doctor Who, and then there's the Daleks, it's like this weird, small familiarity, but it's just something's just not quite right watching it. Yep, those are Daleks. This is kind of a Doctor Who-ish person, but man, this just doesn't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know it, yeah 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 like it's uh, yeah. some hollywood exec wanted to make a doctor who thing fired everyone involved with doctor who and got these people who weren't really fans of doctor who's like pick up on what's important and just make your own thing well yeah the director of this didn't know that when the daleks lights blink on the top of their their domes that means that's the dalek that's talking oh, so jeez. so the director just had the lights randomly blink on top of the daleks heads when it came to editing, it was hell for the editor, and they had to rewrite a lot of the dialogue for the Daleks to make it make any sense. <laughs> Outside the city, Susan makes her way through the creepy forest. She runs into some glowy thing and then finds the TARDIS, <laughs> and that glowing thing opens the TARDIS door, but it's actually a dude in heavy makeup wearing a cape that doesn't glow after this. It's not even the same color it was glowing. He looks like a toned-down Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, pretty much. Like the dime store Ziggy Stardust. This really in the purple eyeshadow. He's Alidon of the Thals, and he wants to make sure she knows how to use the drugs that he left outside the TARDIS for them. She mentions her friends being in the city, and he gives her another set of drugs, bonus set. She's surprised how human-like he is, as the Daleks called the Thal people monsters, and he gives her his cape as well. But yeah, doesn't the Thal say that if they think I'm a monster, then what must they look like? And that was one of the original lines from the original story as well. Well, it's a good line. But it was a good line. So it is obviously a good line, it didn't come from them is. originally. Yeah. I mean, the script, guys, was still based off of Terry Nation's script. And you had talked about that, Colin, earlier as far as Terry Nation still had the rights to the dialects. And I don't know exactly how that all fell into place. But as a result, he, in the Terry Nation estate, till this day actually still owns the rights to the dialects and that's also like how they were trying to write around the doctor and calling him dr dr who as Mm -hmm. opposed to doctor who and why they had to change all of that with barbara and susan and all etc well the screenwriter that's credited is actually the script supervisor for that original daleks episode and he didn't actually write very much of it there was you know, I think in the credits it says story also by 
yeah, right. I remember his name right now. He's the guy that actually wrote the adaptation for this. The only way that Terry Nation would sign off on the Daleks being in a movie would be if that script supervisor from the show was credited as the writer for this movie. Interesting. Now that I did not know. But another piece of trivia for you guys is that Terry Nation wasn't the original writer that was going to be writing that second story of Doctor Who. It was also going to be Anthony Coburn who wrote the very first Doctor Who story. And they actually wrote a very similar script to what is now known as the dialect story called The Masters of Luxor and Big Fin released that as a lost story a few years back so you can actually hear it that's awesome to know what could have been (laughs) right the other version of the dialects still like giant robot androids in it so a lot of the same plot devices are in there as well susan returns to the daleks they accuse her of hiding something she shows them the drugs and in the cell they all share the drugs susan tells them of alidon that his people came to that planet in search of food and the daleks now feel that they can make the drugs themselves since Susan brought some. They want to destroy Alidon's people now, and they are going to lure them by offering food to get in the city by sending a fake message from Susie to the Thal. Was it important to not only have Susan write this letter to the Thals, but to uh, be sitting around lava lamps as well? Oh yeah, the three, yes, there was the three lava lamps sitting there. High tech. Like, I know with these sets, you know, you, you, you put a bunch of crazy stuff around and make it look like, oh, there's science stuff every, everywhere. <laughs> the lava lamps, that's not even trying. People are like, I have that in my home. I know what that is. Did she, did she Why bring, is that did on she bring, Did she bring those from the TARDIS, too? <laughs> Does it help her write? Is that why they're there? It's just like home. <laughs> write your letter, Susie. I think the Daleks just, they were tripping. And they're like, oh, crap, we got to get that girl in here to write the letter. That's what it was. They were all too high, so they had Susie write it. It wasn't about trust with the Thals. They were trying to get the drugs from the Thals. That's right. That's <laughs> right. They're like, yeah. <laughs> They didn't realize it was the help with radiation poisoning. They just wanted to get loaded. We've got the lava lamps. Now we need the drugs from the Thal. And tonight will be complete. Let's put on some psychedelic music and just turn on the the black lights. The theme song again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they just watched the opening to the the movie. The Daleks bring the Doctor Who gang food and water. They want Susie to go with them. Uh, Doctor Who wants to know when they're going to be set free, and they tell them that they're going to go help the Thals. Susie transcribes the Dalek letter. Oh, uh, on the TV, Doctor Who has found the camera in the cell, and the Dalek then tells Susie they will destroy the Thal when they come for the food. Why did you tell her that, Dalek? Like, <laughs> well, like any good villain, you have right. to, you know, uh, pontificate and say what's going on, right? Yes. So in the cell, Susie silently communicates with Ian something, and he puts her on his shoulders, and she disables the camera. The Daleks say the prisoners are intelligent and dangerous, so they decide exterminating the Thals first is more important. They'll get to the people in the cell later, and in the cell, Doctor Who deduces. That there is nothing they can do. They're bringing the souls into a trap. Isn't there anything we can do? If we could find a weakness in the Daleks, just one. They are protected. They can move easily. And they have weapons which can paralyze or destroy. There 
is nothing we can do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, let's pack it in and we're boned. Yep. <laughs> Enjoy these last where... minutes. Better hope it's a this long is... meal. This is where we die. <laughs> By the way, when the doctor... When he discovers the camera, this is the same kind of camera that was following Barbara down the hall. So it's sticking, I don't know, half a foot out of the wall. And Susan just breaks it right off. What kind of shitty worksmanship do they have where a 10-year-old girl can just rip a camera off the wall? Because she's not an alien in this story. So no maybe, superpowers. Well, maybe the radiation was giving her super strength. Everyone else seems sick. <laughs> she seemed just fine. Yeah, I never saw Susan really feeling it. Children are known to have a better immune system than adults, I, I guess. Superhuman. So at Thaw Camp, one of them brings a message from the gates of the city. The gray-haired one at Thaw Camp rightfully questions this offer for friendship from the Daleks, but Alidon says they should buy into their good intentions. Back in the cell, Doctor Who figures out that everything here is made of metal. And they all notice that there is an odor emitted from the Daleks, which is static electricity. So they're, they're grabbing power from the metal floor. They need to create an insulator to weaken them. Susan offers Alidon's cape made from some plastic material. A Dalek shows up as Ian is screwing around in front of the door. It's offering food, and then the Dalek leaves and returns. And when it comes back, Ian leaves like a lighter in the door frame. So it won't shut. And the dollar goes nuts. And they put mud or something on its eye and drag it onto the cape. And Doctor Who opens up the Dalek and they pull whatever it is out and cover it with like, the cape. The Doctor makes Ian get inside the Dalek and pretend to be one. Because that's a brilliant idea. Go ahead and sit all that biological goop. You know, uh, uh, I've seen Ian walk around. It was probably the smart idea. <laughs> it's true, because then they start pushing him. And they don't even let him drive. Like, they're like, hey, we will push you, dude. We will push you. Somehow, this guy is encased in armor. He's still going to bump his head on something. <laughs> also, did you notice when they push the Dalek on the plastic cape, they open up the top of it and, you know, scoop the Dalek out. Susan says, do you think it's dead? And no one responds to her right. at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, like, looks directly at Doctor Who and says, do you think it's dead? And he's like, it's like, oh, well, all right, let's 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 keep moving on. Let's scoop it out and get out of here. It's like, jeez. Someone could have... <laughs> she may have just witnessed a murder, and everyone's cool with it, but she's the only one that's, like, thinking about the ramifications of what they've done. So they head out pushing Ian in the Dalek, and as they leave, an alien hand creeps out from under the cape. And in the halls, the gang runs into another Dalek, and they trick it into believing they are transferring the prisoners. When it leaves... The, the doctor breaks the door control and the Dalek from the hall reports uh, running into the prisoner movement and another Dalek says that there is no such thing. So then the alarm is immediately sounded. Doctor and company can't get Ian out of the Dalek, of course. If it was Susan in there, they could open it right up. Any other character, but you know, Ian's stuck. The Daleks begin torching the door to cut a hole in it, and they all get in an elevator going up as Ian insists they leave him there. The Daleks blow up the one that Ian was in, but uh, unfortunately for us, the audience, they open it, he's not there. He's going up in the elevator to meet them above, and when trying to find a way out, Doctor Who looks out the window and sees the Thals approaching the city. Uh, one of the Daleks gets in the elevator to go up, and kill the whole Who gang. But Ian and the Doctor drop the big machine that's in the room down on the elevator shaft and stop it. 
Outside, Alidon and crew approach the building. We then cut to the Dalek control room where we get a real sense of how big it is. I mean, we haven't really seen the scale of this place. And they all take positions hiding, and the Thals enter, and a gray, the gray-haired one that was questionable about this whole thing. This poor bastard walks in first. Doctor Who busts in from the other side saying, It's a trap! It's a trap! Go back! And they all rush to leave, but the gray-haired one is gassed by the Daleks, like, killed. The Thals and the Doctor Who gang escape to the woods by the TARDIS, and Alidon thanks them for the warning, but says they're, they're peaceful people who will not fight the Daleks. The last war left the planet like it is, and they wish not for it to happen again. The Doctor bids them farewell, and the crew go back to the TARDIS. And all is right in Phil. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It was nice they got out of the prison room because this could have been called Doctor Who in the the cell room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I remember right, the original TV version of it, they were in that cell for a couple episodes. Gotcha. They were... They were. I mean, it works for a TV show. Yeah, it, it works a little better in a TV show than this because there's only an hour and a half. I'm watching a it, movie going through a bottle episode, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. That's that's not real great. I did like when they were all back at the TARDIS, sitting outside of it with the Thals, and their Thals are just trying to figure out why the Daleks are like this. And the Doctor says, you know, that yeah, like, you're different from them, and they're afraid of anything that's different. And people, what they're afraid of is what they try to destroy. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that really emphasized why they should be scared of the Daleks. I just like the line, is what I'm trying to say. Good line. (laughs) So the Daleks feel they have perfected copying the liquid in the vials. Inside of the TARDIS, they're unable to get get it working because, guess what? That fluid link... The Daleks have it. Doctor Who then asks the Thals for help to get it back. And, and by the way, like I know we've mentioned how underwhelming the interior of the TARDIS is, but I, I just want to point out that the the fluid link that's full of mercury, all right, the, <laughs> it's just a, like a it's a clear tube. Looks kind of crappy. Okay, fine. I can... It's got floaties in it. It's like a toy, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like okay, fine. It looks like a baton. Fine. I can accept it. Whatever. But it looks like it's resting on a piece of plywood. <laughs> like, spend the extra few dollars. Get something that doesn't look like complete crap. Not just... Like, it was literally, like, plywood with hooks coming out of it that they just rested this baton on. I know you were only spending about five minutes inside the TARDIS, but please, just come on. <laughs> Alidon doesn't want to kill or have any people killed in an attempt to retrieve it. The Doctor argues the Daleks will attack them regardless. The Daleks discover the Thal drugs don't work on them. So they will now destroy the Thals just because. Wasn't that their plan to begin with? They just, ah, now we'll kill. Like, you you guys were killing them anyways. Uh, It's fired, like, right back and forth with that, the radiation medicine. Because in the show, it took the better part of an episode. Whereas in this, it took a minute to, to get through it. Correct me, did it end up killing any of the dialects in the film? I don't remember. I went back over it, but I don't remember that point in particular. Whereas in the show, I know it actually was killing them or driving them mad or something. You know, I don't remember if they died in the movie, if it was just like, well, it makes them more sick. They were like kind of, I think they were screaming and kind of wobbling around, but I don't think they actually died. They did, like you said, they died on the show. There was like a whole sector that died. But in this, they were moving around like Ian did. That's That, that was the effect. <laughs> like, we can't we can't be doing that. We can't be moving around like assholes. We got to, our, our mobility is limited. We got to make sure we know how to move correctly. Ian wobbles, but he doesn't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Alidon's Ali still refusing to help. Ian winds up pissing him off, and he decks Ian. Yay! And <laughs> what? Our hero! Yes! And Doctor Who tells him he will fight for something. The Daleks say there will be an explosion that will make them sole masters of the planet. Ali Don and Doctor Who devise a plan in the sand. Ian and Barbara will go with some thals on foot to travel somewhere. When they stop for a break, Ian goes to wash his face in the water and finds some pipe. One of the thals is destroyed in that water a little later. And at the, at the woods, Ali Don and Doctor Who still plan out this attack. The group Ian's with comes up upon a mountain, which the pipe also goes up, so they all decide to climb it. Well, the, the idea for going this way is that it, it's the swamp. It's full of genetic mutations that are super deadly, and it's, a, it's like a natural barrier. The Daleks wouldn't expect anyone you know, to attack from behind the city this way. And because Ian's an idiot, he sticks his face in swamp water. <laughs> Have, I, have, have either, either of you ever been to a swamp? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Would you want to stick your face in swamp water? No, no. Nope. So there's an area. It's a swamp. Stinky, gross water. And it's full of deadly, deadly creatures. And Captain Dum Dum says, hey, I could use a wash. And sticks his whole damn head in the water. That's right. That is his exact line. Yeah. You could go a wash. Like, oh, there's some dirt in my face. That's worth sacrificing my safety by sticking my whole damn head in water. Dirtier water than possibly what he already is. He'd be better off to spit in his hands and just rub that on his face. <laughs> and by the way, this this place that's full of deadly creatures, don't see any of them at all. No. No. One of the Daleks holds a rally to talk about how they're going to take over the planet. Tonight, we will complete the war which our ancestors should have won many centuries ago. Destroy the house! Ian's group follows the pipes into a cave, which also ends up caving in, leaving them no choice but to proceed. At Thal Camp, Doctor Who notices something about a mirror a woman has and asks Alidon to collect as many of them as they can as it may be a way to get them in the city. Back in the caves, they come across a big gap and use a rope around each other as a safety line to get across. The last one, uh, Thal, of course, to jump over, screws up and can't get across and is connected to Ian, so he almost does us a favor and bring him down with him, but... <laughs> Outside the city, the Thals sit reflecting their mirror brightness, which Doctor Who thinks should throw off their sensors. He said, like, light radiation or something like that. It, it, it was something that, even with techno babble, you hear it and go, like, shut up. That's not, that's not anything. Reverse the polarity of neutron flow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes, well, I was going to say that makes more sense, but you can't reverse the polarity of a neutron because it's, neutral suddenly the rocks begin to move there's some light pain going on uh back in the caverns the foul guy sacrifices himself by cutting the rope connected to ian but he's able to grab onto the wall and in the control room dr hugh argues coexisting with the foul that dogs won't and begin the countdown to detonating the neutronic bomb do they do anything to ever try to save that fall like, he, he cuts himself so he doesn't drag Ian down. You no, know, they just kind of like, oh. leave him there, right? He's, like, hanging yeah. on. Maybe the Thal are good rock climbers. They're like, he'll, <laughs> I... he'll catch up. He'll catch up. That's that's Bert. He'll, he'll do it. <laughs> well, they have a rope. Just throw it down and pull him up. He's the Thal it's... PE teacher. He'll be fine. <laughs> 
He's Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Back in the TARDIS, the Thaler are mad about the Doctor being kidnapped, and the leader incites them to fight. In the control room, the Doctor offers the secret of the TARDIS to stop the bomb. The Daleks don't believe the TARDIS is real and continue the countdown. The, the Ian group come to some bars, which Barbara gets opened. They are cut off in the hallway by a Dalek, but escape to an elevator. The Dalek reports them, and then they find Ian's group and surrounds them. But other Thals show up and rope it down the elevator shaft. Further down the corridor, Ian shows some heroics as he and a Thal trick two Daleks and have them point and shoot at each other. They and a, a lot of Thal get to the control room and do battle with the Daleks. Ian's able to stop the countdown by taunting the Daleks and them firing at their own computer system that he is standing in front of because it's, it's just hard not to shoot at Ian, right? Like, you just can't he hold back. He and falls here and actually does something right. <laughs> oh, it is just like Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the Daleks then cease to function. Uh, Barbara proclaims that they are all dead. The countdown stopped at three, and Ian says, That's my lucky number. <laughs> okay. Wah, wah. Just stop it, Ian. Yeah, stop like you- it. I wish Barbara would have gone over to him and just said, we're through. <laughs> three, three's your lucky number, but now one is the loneliest number. I don't know. There's a joke somewhere. You folks do it for yourself. Or one of the Thal comes up and be like, three, the number of family members I lost in this battle. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the TARDIS, Doctor Who gets things set. And they all go outside to say goodbye to their new friends. Uh, Andalon thanks them and gives them capes to commemorate this and help them to remember them. When they return to the TARDIS, they set course to get back home. When it stops, Ian opens the door. and They are in some ancient room. He freaks and starts doing shit to the TARDIS and says, well, do something. And that's it. That's the credits. <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> that's it. Or is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> He opens the door to rear projection and runs around like a jackass. Yeah. <sighs> the God. end. Now, I, I know it, to the folks out there, it might seem like that last part, we were kind of like blasting through it, but that's what the movie does. Yeah. The last 10 minutes is just this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And it's not really exciting. It's just, all right, we're, we've got 10 minutes of this movie left. we got to jam this in and it's get like, out of here. It's like they have this goal to finish in under 90 minutes. <laughs> and But yeah. why not expand upon these missions, these split-ups, and sit and focus on them in the cell so much? And the Thal people hanging out away from everybody. Like, they're going to make this 90 minutes. The pairing of the Thal and the Doctor Who group needs to come a little bit faster. And the plan to overtake the city and get rid of the Daleks needs to be more of a focus than, how do we get out of this cell? What's going on here? If you guys understand it, because I, I I really have never understood it 100%. There's the first group standing outside the city to distract the Daleks. Get it? Great. Grand. They got the second group sneaking in the back. It's unsuspected. Cool. What was their plan other than, okay, you go in the front and we go in the back? W- was there a plan past that? Step four, profit. Is that what? Like, yeah. One, go in the front. Two, go in the back. Three, question mark. Four, profit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice if we were filled in on that on that question mark. If, if I missed it, somebody fill me in. But I, I don't know what their plan was other than we get in there. 
I know that the whole reason that Doctor Who was trying to rally them in the first place was because of the whole fact that no matter what, the dialects weren't going to stop. They were going to do whatever they could to get out of the city and kill the Thals. So mm-hmm. the whole thing as far as rallying them to get them to fight in the first place, I guess ultimately the goal would have been then to obviously take over the city. Mm-hmm. But there are these armored murder aliens versus these people in vest. Yep. You know, it, it just seems like there should have been some kind of plan other than like, well, we get in there and then we just kind of figure it out. Maybe they were going for a MacGyver. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wish MacGyver was on this. That would have been... <laughs> You're telling me you wouldn't watch a Thal MacGyver movie? Come on. Yeah, there you go. You think they had merchandise for the like lava lamps from this movie? <laughs> Doctor Who and the Daleks. They're just regular lava lamps. They're just in a different box. It's like Doctor Who and the Daleks. The lava lamp. It's not even the same color scheme as the Daleks or anything in the movie. They were hoping the cloaks would be a big fashion statement in the 60s, but it didn't happen. <laughs> Those claw hands, that's the only time that the Daleks have them like that. It yeah. is actually a movie. So mm-hmm. that's something. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, all, that's all you gotta see. <laughs> Get ready for super n- nerd mode, folks. In remembrance of the Daleks, yeah, they did. I'm trying to think if it was Davros that altered the Daleks, or if the Daleks themselves did it. But they did like graph like a claw under their body. I remember that. So that's kind of like a hand, I guess, on the inside of it. Not so much a fun fact as a fact. Who mm-hmm. facts? Cullen's corner. You saved our people from the rule of the Daleks. We do not have much with which to thank you, but we would like you to take these to remember us. How very kind. Thank you. Thank you so much. We will treasure them. Hi, it's me again. I want to take a little bit of time to thank you. We've been on the air for a while now, and your acceptance of Night Comfort has made me feel really good. I'll be honest with you. When we decided to sponsor the All Night Movies, I was a little nervous. I had never been on TV before, but I thought, well, if you really want to tell them about waterbeds, get out there and give it a try. And so far, it's really working out. One reason is that you out there are no different from me. I'm sort of a late night person anyway. I used to watch the all night movies just on wine. It's really a different time of the day. It sort of gives you a chance to get your thoughts together. A lot of letters I get from you say the same thing. So I just want to say thank you. It made me feel a lot better about being here. It looks like some sort of drug. I wonder what it is. So there was someone here. I shall make some tests on these when we get home. Now comes a portion in the show where we rate the movie we just watched as we are cult cinema cavalcade. We keep things nice and culty. Our ratings are as follows. Stay with your family. This is pretty much the Ian rating. You want nothing to do with this movie. You're you're done. No, you yeah. You feel the way you feel about Ian. Converted. You're kind of like Ali Don. You're, you're, you're down with the movie. It's okay. Uh, you won't go to war for it, but it's all right. And drink of the Kool-Aid. You are Barbara. You are down with the Ian. You'll take it all day for some reason, but you love it. You're, you're, this is your Doctor Who. So, Russell, how do you rate Doctor Who and the Daleks? Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to say stay with your family on this one. I would even watch the Doctor Who TV movie over this, and I'm sure there are some British friends of mine that would cringe at me saying that, but I just can't get behind this. And as I said, it it really goes too far with the tongue-in-cheek, and I was just thinking to myself, poor Peter Cushing with his crab walk. 
Cullen. Yeah, Peter Cushing was auditioning to be the minister of Silly Walks, and it didn't work out for him. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> this movie appears to be after the invention of color, and I don't mean color film, I mean just color, because it's everywhere <laughs> in this movie. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, so I'm, I'm a little torn about this. I, I think it's fascinating that this was made since the show was already so big, and they just went off and got a different doctor, and, and then they adapted a, a direct story. It just seems like it would, I don't know, maybe you should just come up with your own story instead. I, I hate that the doctor is human. I hate that, and I hate that, that interior of the TARDIS. But you know what? Overall, I was engaged and I was interested. I say that I am converted, but only if you are like a, like a real big Doctor Who fan. Otherwise, just avoid it. And stay with your family. <laughs> Brandon, how do you rate Doctor Who and the Daleks? As much of a turd as this is, it is a fascinating anomaly in the, the the who universe and in television and cinema history where you have something already going so well and then someone tries to do something better but not latching onto it and or just having the rights to do stuff we talked about this like with never say never again where it's like you have this thing existing just to exist i i like i like peter cushing he's okay the material doesn't serve him very well it doesn't serve anyone very well it wants to focus on like the wrong areas maybe it just didn't have the money to be a bit more fuller than it was it's a long watch for 88 minutes i will say with riff tracks it's pretty funny so (laughs) when you have the riff tracks on there definitely watch it but oh i I haven't seen the one that comes after this i'll I'll admit that like i haven't seen that one's actually pretty good okay a solid adaptation Okay, so I will. I'm, I'm going to stay with my family on this one. I was pretty sure about that, but I was going to say, well, if this is the better one of the two to check out, then, then yeah. But I, I still need to check out the uh, the other one. But it's just, mm, it's fascinating. It's, it's, but if, if you're a big Who fan, I think you should just check it out just to see what the heck this is and how different and weird and and wrong things can be. It's like I said earlier. There's like no suspense in this at all. No. Whereas story for the TV show, a lot of suspense. No, I've seen I've seen that actual what when talking about it, I'm like when I watched this, I'm like, I think I watched that original Dalek series because a lot of this was familiar from that. Right. Which was yeah. yeah, done much better. I don't know if it needed to be seven episodes, but still that's the if you if you want this story, go look for the the original Dalek story from the TV show flip side guys is like without that dialect story we possibly wouldn't have doctor who today with it being the second story and everything it's really what cemented doctor who in television history and i mean sydney newman who was one of the original creators of the show did not want verity lambert the producer to do any bug-eyed monsters so she kind of went out on a limb with the dialects and it's actually ultimately what made the show work yeah because the the first story it did okay in the ratings you know they just went back in time and met some some cavemen it wasn't that great and then there was this and people had never seen anything like the daleks before and it instantly caught fire and it's one of the reasons this movie was made because we had dialect mania oh yeah absolutely there like there was as much dalek merchandise as there was doctor who merchandise at the time but they called you monsters If they called us monsters, what must they be like? On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, 
It's our annual Linda Blair episode as her birthday is coming right on up. For this year, uh, we're talking about Exorcist 2, The Heretic, the superior sequel to the original William Friedkin film. <laughs> it's the Empire Strikes Back of the Exorcist movies, right? I mean, that's what that's what we're going to watch, right? Maybe it's Godfather 2, Exorcist 2, Empire Strikes Back. It's all good X-Men stuff. 2. X-Men 2. It's the Winter Soldier. So, so yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> this can't. this is a can't miss, right? Right. Excited. It's from a Academy Award-winning director. Our second John Borman film in less than a year. He's back. So all of this adds up to just a really great experience. I want to thank everyone who uh, kicked off their new year by listening to this latest episode. And uh, even spe- more special thanks for those who watched along. And I, of course, want to thank Russell McGee for stopping in to discuss the quintessential Doctor Who with us. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it being on. And, uh, Russell, where can people find your work? Well, if you check out www.bigfinish.com and uh, just type in my name, Russell McGee, in the search engine, it'll bring up the stories that I've worked on for Big Finish. Otherwise, you can also check me out on WTIU.org. I've actually got a children's show, a puppet show that I've been doing is a segment on the friday zone and we're going to be on season two this year so look forward to writing that excellent all right and thanks again we look forward to next time but first stay tuned for the trailer to exorcist 2 the heretic the trailer that actually trails four years ago the exorcist shocked the world now the struggle between good and evil goes on exorcist 2 the heretic Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, 
advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker, edited by Brandon Peters, narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Laugh hard. Run fast. Be kind. Don't turn.